Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn Radio, GoodPods. Whatever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza. And if you have any questions, if you want to send an email with any feedback, any suggestions, you can do so at letstalkmicro at outlook.com. As always, any feedback, any suggestions, they are welcome and appreciated. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and leave a review if the app allows you to do so. If you haven't listened to the previous episode of Let's Talk Micro, please go ahead and do so. It was a great episode with Dr. Bobby Pritt, which is the director of the Parasitology Lab at the Mayo Clinic. She came to the podcast and gave us an overview of parasitology, you know, like what kind of samples, what kind of testing, what molecular testing is there, what is the future of molecular testing. She talks about digital parasitology. And I asked a question if whether, you know, we should be giving parasitology, you know, the importance that we give, let's say, bacteria. So overall, it was a great episode, very informative. So if you haven't checked it out, please go ahead and do so. So today's episode is about something that clinical microbiologists, you know, medical lab scientists and micro, you know, that we are familiar with, is a document that we work with very closely on our day-to-day activities in the lab which is the M- M100, you know, the CLSI M100. So CLSI is the Clinical Laboratory Standards Institute, and the M100, it's updated every year, and it contains invaluable information about clinical microbiology. You know, it has breakpoints, it has intrinsic resistance, it has a lot of information that it is, you know, that we use as part of our susceptibility testing and when we're working with these organisms. So I thought it would be a good idea to bring someone in, you know, to talk about the latest update. So in this episode, Dr. April Bobinchik from Penn State Health, she's the director of microbiology at Penn State Health. So she comes to the podcast and she talks about what the CLSIM 100 is, you know, where the information comes from, how does that information relate to the job that we do in microbiology? And of course, she talks about the changes. You know, what's new? You know, what changed? So she talks about, you know, cephalogical, you know, changes with the aminoglycosides. So overall, a very informative episode, very educational. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's go ahead and listen to it. So on today's episode, we are talking about the CLSI, Clinical Laboratory Standards Institute. If you're a medical lab science you know, student, you might be a little bit familiar and maybe not too much. If you work in the laboratory, you definitely are familiar with it. And specifically, we're going to be talking today about the CLSI M100, a very important document for those of us that work in clinical microbiology on the bench. You know, we reference it a lot. We see it. We're familiar with it, so today we're going to be talking about that. As you know, this year, the newest, you know, the newest edition, the 33rd edition, came out. So I thought it would be a good idea to do an episode and talk about it. So with me today, I have a guest, Dr. April 
Bovenchik, and she's going to be talking to us about the CLSI M100. Dr. Bovenchik, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I'm looking forward to speaking with you this afternoon. Uh, I am currently the Medical Director of Microbiology and Virology at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. I am also an advisor to the Subcommittee on Antimicrobial Susceptibility Testing for CLSI. I co-chair the Text and Tables Working Group, and I'm a member of the Outreach Working Group for um, the Subcommittee. I think what's interesting about me, too, is that I actually started out as a MLS. I'm a, my bachelor's degree is in medical technology. Uh, I was working on the bench. I worked for five years, uh, second shift as an MLS before going back to get my uh, Ph.D., uh, I was very interested at that time. I thought I was going to go into like um, diagnostic development, but while I was working as MLS, I really realized how much I enjoyed um, being in the laboratory and that there was actually positions for um, PhDs in the clinical laboratory. So after finishing up my PhD, I then went and did my CPEP fellowship um, at UCLA, where I was exposed to uh, CLSI and antimicrobial susceptibility testing, working with uh, Dr. Humphreys and Janet Hindler. I attended my first CLSI meeting in 2013, and I've been attending every meeting since then. So I've been 10 years now with a volunteer. Um, so I'm pretty familiar with the M100 document by now. <laughs> Well, that is great. And I had a chance to meet and uh, do an episode with, with Dr. Humphreys, uh, not too recently, actually, and uh, recently. Um, but definitely, you know, uh, welcome again. And it is, it is great, you know, having a, a fellow MLS and, and, you know, that's another career choice. And it's definitely great when you see, because you definitely, you know, not all the you know directors are, are have been CLS, um, MLSs. So you kind of have a good understanding of, of, how the flow is and what goes on the bench. And that's always great. So uh, thank you. So, you know, on the intro, I talked a little bit about, you know, we're definitely as, as medical lab scientists, we're familiar. And in this audience, we have sometimes, you know, we have students, maybe some that might have been out of micro for a little bit. So can you start with a brief overview of what, you know, the CLSI M100 is? And how does that information relate to the work in clinical microbiology? Sure. So first, I want to start off with just a general overview of CLSI in general. It is a um, stands for the Clinical Laboratory Standards Institute. Um, it's a nonprofit um, organization that develops standards on a global level. So across, not just unique to the United States or North America, but our standards are utilized across the entire world. Um, within CLSI, there are these expert panels for each uh, specialty area. So even if you are working in chemistry or hematology or COAG, there are CLSI documents for you. Um, within that, then there are these uh, uh, expert committees or specialty committees. So microbiology is one of them. And then they're tasked with um, document development. And so there's like the M100, there is, um, for so for susceptibility, there's like the M100 or the M2 or the M7. But additionally, there's um, the multi-top document, there's the uh, blood culture document. So within microbiology, there's also subsections within that. But I'm really going to focus on the subcommittee for susceptibility testing. And within that subcommittee, there's the fungal AST committee, which 
um, sets breakpoints and recommendations for fungal susceptibility testing. And then there's also the Veterinary Susceptibility Testing Committee, which sets breakpoints and standardizations for vet microbiology. So um, again, I'm only gonna talk about the bacteriology side today because that's where the M100 belongs to. Um, so the M100 is actually a supplement standards document to the M2 and the M7. The M2 is our, is our standard document for disc diffusion and our M7 is our standards document for broth microdilution. And those documents are only updated every couple, you know, three to five years, whereas the M100, which contains all the tables for breakpoints for um, non, I wouldn't say non-standardized methods, but for supplemental methods, sort of like the um, CARBA NP or the MSIM or the um, ESBL confirmatory tasks. So all those supplemental methods in your QC tables all belong in the M100 document, which gets updated annually. And up until about 2016, it used to be called like the M100 S26. Um, S was for the supplement. And now we kind of dropped that and it is just called, you know, M127, you know, 28th. And right now, currently, we are on the M133rd edition, um, working on the 34th edition for next year. Okay, so you're currently, so yeah, it's, it's it, I, I imagine that you have to start the work early. So you're currently working on the next edition, even though like the new one just, just came out. And uh, so that information, so that, that it's in this document. You know, we definitely, like you mentioned, you know, we get our breakpoints. Um, you know, we see our, our, our MICs, our zone of inhibitions. You know, intrinsic resistance. There's a lot of information that we use in our work. So, where does the information come from? So, um, the way the subcommittee is structured, there are these standing um, working groups. So, there's a breakpoint working group. Um, and within there's a methods of development and standardization working group. There's a methods application and interpretation working group. There's the QC working group, uh, text and tables working group. And so each group has their own, uh, uh, I guess, objectives or uh, um criteria, or I'm going to say um, tasks that they need to accomplish um, for the following year. So a couple of examples would be, so the breakpoint working group within them, they would have these ad hoc working groups, which is um, recently we just updated the uh, aminoglycoside breakpoint. So there was an ad hoc working group for aminoglycoside breakpoints. So anywhere between one or two or three years, um, uh, they'll be working on revising all, or reviewing all the data that was used to put into the breakpoint, looking at new PK, PKPD data, new clinical data, um, and they kind of gather all this data. They meet several times over the course of a year. And then we have two in-person meetings. Um, they were virtual during the the pandemic, but now they're back to in person, one in June and one in January, where now your ad hoc working group will then present its data to its overall working group, the breakpoint working group. They will then review their data package. They will vote on it. And then they send their recommendations up to the subcommittee. So on the, these in-person meetings are about three days. And on days two and three, um, the subcommittee meets, um, it's called plenary session, and each individual working group will present their data package um, to the subcommittee members. There's um, 
I believe there's like uh, 13 of them. And they will vote on whether or not they agree with what the recommendations are from the uh, um, uh, breakpoint working group or say a method standard um, methods development working group. Um, they recently developed the um, direct from positive blog culture uh, uh, disc criteria or disc cutoffs. Um, that working group has been working for a number of years now, um, uh, presenting new uh, disc correlates or disc cutoffs for um, different antimicrobials with um, Enterobacterialis or Pseudomonas. Uh, so those are some new updates that had come in. And so these meetings, the, the individual meetings happen all year round. And then there's the voting sessions in June and January. And what's unique about the CLSI procedure or um, standardization group is that it's all consensus process. And so anyone can submit um, data to the individual working group for consideration. It does need to be um, submitted by the agenda book deadline, which is usually about two weeks before the actual meeting in January or June. And then that meeting gets presented if it's in the agenda book and then um, gets voted on, but the meetings are open to the public. So anyone can attend the meeting, they can um, uh, raise questions at the meeting. Uh, so it's a very open process where we take into consideration every, everyone's comments um, and they take into consideration when they make their votes. Um, so we have people from all over, whether it's industry or um, device manufacturers, drug sponsors, government agency like FDA, CDC, um, all attend our CLSI meetings to kind of give the different perspectives. Um, because we think of it from the laboratory's perspective that we're only leaving the M100 for uh, using it to do susceptibility testing, but many other people use our document uh, especially in the diagnostic device uh, arena where they're using that document to determine what type of panels they may create or uh, new software that they're going to put on their instrument. Um, and then our, you know, our public health colleagues are there. So it's kind of a mix of different people, plus our clinicians, our infectious disease doctors, our ID pharmacists, they have different um, asks of the committee as well. So um yeah, kind of a mix mix of people. Well, it's definitely yeah, it's it's, it's a lot of people that are, you know it takes a, a lot of people to make this happen. This information and we don't you know sometimes you know we don't think about it. We just have it in the laboratory. We work with it. We use it. We reference it. And then, but yeah, it's you know it's good knowing and learning, especially other uses beyond what we use it in the lab. Um, so yeah, definitely thank you for that. And you know also you know like we we talked about about breakpoints and how it is used. And this is something that for, for, for text in the lab, you know, it has many more other uses. Um, can you talk more about those that, you know, how it pertains to the work and that we do in the, in the bench, let's say, you know, in clinical micro. Yeah, definitely. We always take into consideration, especially in text and tables about how it's going to be um, interpreted by the laboratory technician and how they're going to interpret our comments and uses. Um, and some, 
oftentimes your panels are kind of already set up by your device manufacturer and they, these are the drugs, bugs I'm going to report out. And uh, these are the breakpoints because they're put in through the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. But when you really need to go into the document is when you get that call from your pharmacist or your um, ID physician or even a physician that's not uh, familiar with susceptibilities and antimicrobials and they ask for something like, oh, I really need that doxycycline, but I didn't get an MIC for it. And then you can go in and read that, you know, tetracycline predicts the susceptibilities to doxyminnow and um, like that. Or you can create a comment to put on your reports based off the comments that are in the 100. Uh, another one is a drug bug that is not routinely on your panel, like we talked about like with tables one that are, you know, usually on your panels that are commercially uh, approved. But this might be a different drug bug combo that's not on your panel. But, you know, um, one of your pharmacists or someone saying, you know, my patient has multiple drug allergies and interactions and I really need this drug. And you can go in and say, well, good news, there is breakpoints for this. So I can now send it off to my reference laboratory that will give you a susceptibility result. Or um, this happens too and say, actually, no, this drug bug has intrinsic resistance because oftentimes we find that they're asking for drugs that are intrinsically resistant. And that's why we're not giving them susceptibility result. And we never expect every single um, bench level supervisor or even director level to memorize intrinsic resistance and all the little caveats of the different drug drugs and bugs. So by quickly going into the M100, via, you know, the uh, free version or a PDF version or even the paper version, you can help, you know, guide, uh, yes, we can do that for you, or sorry, I can't because there are no clinical interpretations or there is intrinsic resistance. And as we get more sophisticated drugs, um, they have now more caveats, like example, imipenorilinbactam uh, cannot be reported out on the Proteus Providencia Morganella, Morganella group. And so your clinician may not know that, but you know that because it's a comment in your M100 table. So we try to kind of put in a lot of those testing comments to help guide appropriate susceptibility testing. And it's really kind of the lifeline for the lab laboratorians to convey that information um, to their end users. You know, yes, I definitely like that. And this is something that we experience in the lab and, you know, we get this request and, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we see that, you know, we're moving fast, you know, we have a lot of work and okay, they're requesting this, we go ahead and do it. But it's definitely, yeah, that's the, the best place, you know, you stop by look at it. You know, you typically, you have an idea of what's in your formulary, what you have in your lab. Look, I have this drug, so let me check this. Okay, I, do I see breakpoints? Do I not see breakpoints? Does does it say, you know, this 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 group of organisms, you know, they're generally considered resistant to this, 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 and this. And like you said, you know, you can apply sometimes, you know, one interpretation to another drug. So it's it's a very helpful resource. And those of you that are listening, you know, medical lab scientists, it's, it's definitely. When you get this type of request and you're working this, go and consult it and check it. And you, you know, you find a great deal of information that helps you do your job in the proper way, which at the end, you know, it just, it helps the patients. And that's what we do it for. So, you know, as we talked about, it is updated every year. Um, so the updates of this year, the 33rd edition came out. So what's new? So new... 
new for um, the M133rd published in about, I think it was like February of this year, um, where we always update, or not always, but either brand new breakpoints or revision of breakpoints. So the two, um, the biggest um, addition was the aminoglycoside revisions for both the Enterobacterialis and the um, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, where we um, we decreased the breakpoints for Enterobacterialis for both Gent, Tobramycin, and Amikacin, uh, a, a one dilution lower for two of the drugs and two dilution lower for the um, for Amikacin. And then for Pseudomonas, we ended up um, removing the breakpoint for gentamicin and Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And so it's basically considered intrinsically resistant. It's resistant to gent. Um, and then we made uh, a urine-only breakpoint for amikacin. And so, so that was a significant change for Pseudomonas and immunoglycosides. And then we realized that this does really greatly impact the laboratory in terms of, especially if they're using uh, commercial products that may not have the dilutions low enough to accommodate these newer breakpoints, um, or you know their panel may not have dilutions high enough. So it really can have um, some issues that we, we do realize when these changes are made. And that's sort of why we have the outreach working group um, which is tasked with trying to educate all our users, not just our clinical laboratory folks, but other um, our, our end users, our clinicians, as well as our pharmacists, as well as our device manufacturers on the impact of these changes that we made in the document. So um, each year, SalesLight does do a M100 updates webinar. Um, the last I checked, it is available usually for the first couple months in the year that you can still available for purchase. Um, but then throughout the year, the outreach working group will continue to do outreach around the changes or um, in the form of uh, individual webinars or um, sessions at ASM or uh, we do a CLSI updates newsletter. Um, there's also individual publications from the authors of the different breakpoints working groups. So there'll be an aminoglycoside um, publication about all the rationale went into changing the breakpoints. So that was a huge change. Uh, and uh, there was lots of changes this year. So that I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, our other really big change was we reformatted the uh, tables one, which are the, our tests and report recommendations for the um for uh drugs and this question comes up quite often is that the tables one are very us centric and we know that our users are not all from the united states but they historically have always been um drugs that are um approved for use in the United States or have FDA approval. So that's why you see far less drugs in table one than there are in tables two. I mean, there's way more drugs in tables two that have breakpoints, but that may not show up in table one. And it doesn't mean you can't use that breakpoint in table two for that drug bug combo. It just means that it's a drug that's not typically used in the United States or not FDA cleared in the United States, and therefore it's not up in tables one. Um, and the, with the revision of tables one was to really reinforce the idea of uh, cascade and selective reporting. Uh, and so we had kind of changed it out from a vertical format to a horizontal format so that you can uh, cascade across tiers from your, um, you know, a more narrower to a broader spectrum agent, something that will, um, uh, we want to prevent, um, and, you know, overuse of our um, 
agents that are should be reserved for more resistant organisms. So you can cascade across your table and that if a narrow spectrum is, is resistant, then you can open up our um, release and test a more broader agent um, that you may not be able, you may not need to test it if you originally test susceptible to it. Um, so that was a huge change. There is going to be a, um, a presentation on the tables one at the upcoming microbe meeting. Uh, and then that will also be followed up with um, probably some sus subsequent like newsletter education and other events around that. So that was a really big change for us. That table has not been um, updated since the early 70s. So um, certainly a big learning curve there. Um, additional changes, we do a lot of comment changes um, this year. So we've kind of aligned ourselves with the um, IDSA guidelines for AMPC and ESBL reporting. So we've updated those comments. Um, I drew attention to that in the M100 webinar and how to um, think about certain um, reporting strategies, especially with our AMPCs, when you're reporting um, a third generation cephalosporin on sort of an enterobacter cloicae complex or cleverogenes, we really do want to urge caution with either suppressing them or alerting our end users that you can develop resistance with that. Um, it, we didn't really have that strong of a language um, prior to this edition. And so we definitely wanted to kind of guide our users in that direction. Um, we also put in some warning comments about cephalosporin susceptibility testing. It's been really, really tricky, uh, especially for our Cynobacter species, but it does apply to our other organisms as well. So uh, lots of changes in that realm. Always we update QC, um, and QC ranges or QC notes and stuff. And so, like I said, at these meetings, there's all these different standing working groups that all have charges that, that need to be done or, you know, tasked with certain um, things to look at. And then all that goes up to the subcommittee, both in January and June for voting. And then all those uh, changes get incorporated into the official meeting minutes, which are available to all users on the CLSI website. You can go under the um, AST resource section and click on meeting minutes. And so you can kind of know what's coming up. So it's not actually a huge surprise. You can go in there and, and read the minutes and see uh, what was voted on. And in as soon as the January meeting happens, we just had ours in January 2023, um, those things that were voted on January are now going to be incorporated into the current draft. So we're working on the 34th position as we speak. We meet next week in June to incorporate more changes. Um, and then it goes back through voting at the end of the year um, for publication in the early um, 2024. So, um, I think those are kind of like the big highlights of this year, the biggest being the aminoglycosides and then the table one revision. Okay. And so when you you mentioned that, so yeah, I've seen the the webinar that they do when they they talk about the changes and you can register for it. And so it's also available for purchase after the fact for a while. Yeah, I, I was checking on that because I recently did a um a local um, talk here in Pennsylvania about CLSI updates. And I was kind of going through resources for everyone beyond, you know, attending a uh, meeting. There's lots of other resources that I don't think everyone's ever always aware of. And so when I was going through the website, I saw that um, as of 
when did I present? I presented in May. So as of May, that was still available for purchase. Um, but when I went back to see if the previous years was available, it was not. So um, that's, and also I think people don't realize like CLSI, um, so we're all volunteers uh, who work for the professions in the laboratories or work for the industry. We, you know, we go to CLSI, we're all as a volunteer for CLSI, but CLSI does have its own um, staff that does all the operation parts of document. And so you can um, email, there's like an email, I think, access. I don't even know. You can definitely email CLSI staff with all your questions and they do all get forwarded to us in the um, different working groups. So as, as myself, as a co-chair of Text and Tables, when you're a user and you have a really hard time with a certain question, you know, just recently, or sometimes people know me, so they just email me directly and they're like, I really don't understand, you know, comment seven in the strep pneumonia table. Can you really help, you know, maybe we can tweak it a little bit so it's a little bit um, better for, or I can understand it a little bit better. So those comments all either come in directly through the CLSI staff. So these are users emailing CLSI and then they get forwarded to the individual working groups or uh, it gets directly forwarded or directly reached out to myself or our co-chair Shelly or within our um, subcommittee group. Someone asks, you know, sort of like Dr. Humphreys a question and then she'll forward it to myself and um, yeah, Shelly for a review. So every question that does come into CLSI, we do address. Um, it may not result in a change in the M100 document, but we certainly bring it up to our text and tables working group or the appropriate working group, like a breakpoint change. They do get uh, funneled into their uh, respective groups to be considered to look at um, and to be investigated. So it's certainly an open process. And I always like to highlight there's a ton of resources on the uh, website. And anytime I'm giving a presentation, I usually kind of go through the website and kind of put little arrows of where to click on. But the best spot is, you know, from CLSI.org, then you click onto the microbiology resources, and then it will kind of just list things. It lists the minutes on one side, it lists the educational stuff on the other side. So a new number, numerous webinars, and then always the AST newsletter, you can sign up for it so that you just get it in your inbox or you can click on the archive part. So we put a lot of work into their education efforts, but realizing that they aren't always disseminated um, to everybody or realizing that that's where they are. So, yeah, I like that you say that because, you know, there's there, there's some great resources and sometimes, you know, people even in the lab, they're not aware of them. Um you, you know, you can go as easy as if you type free CLSI M100 on Google or your search engine, it will show and it clicks you to the site and then you do have access to it for free. So that's something that you can set it up on your desktop when you're working on it. And that way, because I always see people just bringing the one binder in the lab to their bench or going to the binder and it's like you can just set it up there and it's a little bit easier, you know, adjust it with your workflow. I learned about the volunteer... Uh, how it works with CLSI when I reach out for this episode. And yes, you know, I I actually used the general email address. Like I went to the website, I emailed, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I have this podcast, I'm looking to do this. And that's how they connected me with you. So very friendly, very accessible. So everything was, you know, I had a great experience. So if you're listening out there, you know, CLSI 100 is free. There's also some other ones. So if you type that free CLSI, you can find the resources and they're also available for purchase if you want to 
you know, if you want to have them at home or something or just they're definitely out there. All right. Well, uh, you know, Dr. Bobinchuk, you know, this has been so great. You know, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, I know the users are also the the, the listeners are going to are going to like this. So it was very informative. You know, I definitely work with the CLSIM 100 a lot. So thank you for taking the time to coming into Let's Talk Micro. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about the CLSIM 100. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. So as always, you know, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. We do such great work. And this week, it's ASM 2023 in Houston, Texas. So I'm so excited. I'm going to be there. I'm planning on doing an episode over there. So looking forward to meeting you. If you see me, stop by, say hi. Looking forward to it. And thank you for the support. Good things are coming your way. So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.